Well, I want to welcome everyone this morning, those that are here, those across the way in our summit service, all those who are watching from home and those that are watching our broadcast today. Uh, as you know, uh, it's a brand new year and I don't think this is a turn of the calendar that we have anticipated uh, more than any other turn of the calendar. Finally, 2020 is behind us. Congratulations. You have graduated 2020. So happy new year. Uh, but as we know, things don't change simply because we turn a page in the calendar, right? Just because we write a new year on our checks doesn't mean that, uh, that everything is different. I really believe as we look back on 2020, uh, years down the road, we will look back and see this as a year of four crises. It is, first of all, a year of political polarization. I don't know of a time, at least in my lifetime, that we have been more polarized than we are as a country right now. I think we'll also look back at this year as a year where there were questions about justice, serious questions about justice. I think we'll look back on this year as a year of financial catastrophe for many people, not everyone, but for many people. And of course, we'll look back on 2020 as the year of COVID. But honestly, I don't know that 2021 is going to be any different when it comes to those four things. I hope it is. I am praying that it is. But I think you could make a good case that 2021 may look a lot like 2020. And there's not a lot we can do to, to change that. Uh, we just live in a fallen world. I, over the holidays, read a book on the history of England from the 14th to the 17th century. Uh, don't ask me why, why I read it, but uh, I, was, uh, I was struck by this, by this truth. The problems that we face today are not new problems. England, in, in those centuries, faced everything that we face today really times a thousand. Uh, I, I noticed in, in that history that their government changed constantly. There were coups, there were civil wars, they had leaders who were assassinated, other leaders were executed. There was constantly a change in government. When it comes to religious persecution, certainly, I believe we've lost much religious liberty in recent years, but the religious persecution in those days in England was much worse than it is today. Pastors and church leaders were often arrested, they were jailed, they were uh, hung, their heads were cut off, they were burned at the stake because they stood upon God's word. We talk about the plague or the pandemic, we call it now. Uh, but if you go back to these years, especially the early part of these centuries in England, you notice that they too faced some serious pandemics. In fact, the bubonic plague killed over half the people in England uh, in the 15th century. Imagine that. Over half the people died in that pandemic. And then there was a there was racial slavery in those years and poverty. 75% of the people during much of that time period, 75% of the people in England were in such poverty that they feared for their lives. It was a question not of convenience, but it was a question of survival from season to season. So pastor, why are you telling us that? Well, I want you to, to be reminded 
that we live in a fallen world. This is a cursed world because of sin. And there have been problems and there will continue to be problems. There will be some good years and some bad years. There will be years of prosperity and peace and health. But there will also be years of poverty and persecution and pandemic. That's the world we live in. And there's not a lot we can do to change that on some macro level. And the more history I read, the more I realize that that is the case But there are some things that we can do to change it on a personal level. There are some things that we can do to have lives that bring more honor and more glory to God. There are some things that we can do such that we would experience more peace from the Lord. That we would have a purpose from the Lord. That we would have hope. I hear so many people today in the middle of this pandemic saying there's no more hope. Well, there's something we can do so that we can have the hope that comes from God. And so over the next few weeks, if the Lord allows, I want us to walk through the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. And I want us to address some of the things that we can do and some of the things that we can change as a church and as individuals in this fallen world with all of the problems that we have, with all of the problems that may continue, what are some things that we can do that make a real difference? And so we're going to start Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. So the book of Revelation is a revelation from the Lord given to John, John the Apostle. He was uh, imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. He had a lot of time on his hands. He was praying and so God gave him this vision and said, write this down because this is going to communicate to the church and to the churches in the decades and the centuries to come. It's going to communicate to them the way things are, he says down in verse 19, and the way things will be. And so that's the purpose. That's the purpose of this book, to help us to see how things are and to help us to see how things are going to be. And especially in the first three chapters, he's going to talk about some very specific things that were going on then, same things going on today, and he's going to talk about how we can make these changes. What are the priorities so that we can turn the levers uh, that that we can turn? So let's just continue to read. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. He says that you're blessed just by reading or hearing the book of Revelation. So that's an encouragement, right? Because I'm going to read it to you, uh, much of it today, much of these first chapter or two, and uh, we'll be blessed. The, The Bible promises us that. Now he says we need to hear it and then we need to do what it says. These are action verses. And the reason is because the time is near. Uh, Christ could come back. Uh, The Bible tells us that Christ is returning and that his return is imminent. That doesn't mean it will happen soon. That doesn't mean it'll happen this week or this year, but it means it can happen at any point in time and we must be ready for that. Let's continue continue our, our, our reading. I want to skip down now a little ways to verse 12. Uh, he says in verse 12, then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. 
And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. Now, this is the picture. This is what John saw as this revelation was given to him so that he could write down what we have in the book we call the book of Revelation. So this is interesting. He says that there are seven lampstands, golden lampstands, and then there is one who looks like Christ. That's, that's his point here with these words. One who looks like Christ is walking amongst the lampstands. Now, what does that mean? What are these lampstands and why is that important to us? Well, let's skip down a little further to verse 20. And here we see the mystery of that, uh, of that scene. It says in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. So he's going to tell us. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now that's something we're going to come back to uh, in, in future weeks. The stars and the angels, we'll talk about that. But then look at the last part of verse 20. It says, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he says, these lampstands, seven of them, golden lampstands, Jesus is walking in their midst. These lampstands represent the churches. So I think we should focus on that. Uh, there, there are seven churches, seven lampstands. Jesus in the next couple of chapters is going to give a message for each of these seven churches. They were real churches that existed at the time. They were all in Asia Minor, fairly close together. You see the list of the churches back up in chapter 1 verse 11, and then we'll see the churches again in the next couple of chapters. So what is the message to these churches, and what does it mean that the churches are represented by lampstands? Well, let's start with lampstands. It says to begin with that there are seven lampstands. Now, we've already seen seven churches. So what does seven mean? Well, it just literally means that there were seven churches. Count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But sometimes in the Bible, numbers stand for something other than their literal meaning. Now, we have to be careful here. And sometimes people just create all kinds of imaginary tales as they try to interpret the numbers of the Bible. Uh, but, but the word, the number rather seven often stands for completeness in the Bible. How many days are there in a week as God designed our time? There are seven days. That makes a complete week. And so scholars believe uh, that these seven churches, the fact that there are seven churches, tells us that, that Jesus is really walking amongst the lampstands of all of the churches. This represents not just these seven in Asia Minor, but this represents all the churches. Now, it, not only does it say that there were seven lampstands, it says there were seven golden lampstands. Now, what's the significance of the fact that the lampstands are made of gold? They're not made of wood. They're not made of stone. They're made of gold. Well, I just think that speaks to their value. Gold is more valuable uh, in their day, gold was the most valuable metal. It would have been the most valuable thing you could have made one of these lampstands from. The fact that they're gold means that they are valuable. Ladies, would you rather receive a ring of white gold or would you rather receive a ring made out of recycled aluminum? Now, 
the ring would probably look much the same, right? The, the appearance would be very similar. But, but to you, there's no question you want the one that's made of gold because that stands for greater value. These, these lampstands uh, that represent the churches made of gold because the church is valuable. Let, let me tell you how it's valuable. The Bible says, first of all, that the church is the bride of Christ. The church is valuable because Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is passionate for the church. Jesus waits to be united with the church. The church is valuable because this is what Jesus loves. Jesus cares so much for the church. We should care for the church because the church is so valuable to him, it ought to be valuable to us. And so it's valuable because it is loved by Christ, but it's also valuable because it's needed by Christ. The Bible says the church is the body of Christ. So think of Christ as the head. Think of the body, the church, the arms and the legs. If my head wants to accomplish something, my head tells my arms and my arms and my legs accomplish it. If I want to open this Bible or set it from one side to the other, my head can't do that, but my hands and my arms can. And so my head tells my arms, my arms do it. Christ is the head. We as the church, we're the body of Christ. The primary way that Christ wants to work in Nacogdoches is through the church. We pray for things. We pray for God to do things. We pray for God to move. We pray for God to change things. And God can do whatever God chooses to do. But you have to understand the main way, the biblical way, the primary way that God does what God wants to do in Nacogdoches or any city in this world is through his body the church. And so the church is not just a lampstand, but it's a golden lampstand, a valuable lampstand. Now, then we just come to the fact that it's a lampstand. What does it mean? There are so many different objects that, that, that could have represented the church, I suppose. So why a lampstand? Why was it a lampstand that, that represented the church? Well, it's simply because a lampstand, its purpose is to hold up a light. Right? And these lampstands, it probably wasn't a candle, uh, though that's, that may be what you're picturing in your mind. It probably held up an actual lamp, some oil lamp that would sit up on the stand. And the stand, the purpose of the stand is to hold the lamp high so that it can shine light in all the different places in the room. The lampstand holds up the light. Well, we as a church, we have that same purpose. We are to hold up the light of Christ. We are to hold up the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? What is the gospel? What is the light? Well, that Jesus is God, that he came and lived a perfect sinless life in the flesh, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and he rose victoriously and offers us forgiveness today. If we'll believe in him, if we'll surrender to him, if we'll trust in him, then we can have uh, access to the Father. We can be children of God. That's the gospel. That's the light. And so our purpose as a church, listen, is to hold up that light so that as many people as possible, they can see the light. They can know and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to notice that the lampstand is not the light, right? The lampstand is what holds up the light. There's a difference. There's the lampstand and it can have a light on it or it cannot have a light on it. A lampstand without a light is pointless because its purpose, its only purpose is to hold up a light. Now, sometimes churches get this mixed up. Often churches get this mixed up. 
We think of ourselves as the light. And so churches through the years, so many churches through the years, focus on giving their community the lampstand. We want to give the community the stuff our church does. We want to give the, the community our generosity. We want to give the community our ministries. We want to give the community our events. We want to give the community our services. We, we, we have all of these things that we want to give to the community. But we have to understand as a church, what our primary purpose is, is to give them the gospel, right? I mean, we need to have services, but the point of our services is what? To hold up the gospel. We need to have events at our church. But, but the point of the events is what? They're lampstands to hold up the gospel. We need to be generous with our community. But the point of our generosity is to hold up the light of the gospel. The point is that everything we do here must be focused on the gospel, that people might know about Jesus and that people might be led to respond to Jesus. Everything we do, if we do something that's not focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we've given somebody a lampstand without a light on it. And so there are seven golden lampstands. Now, the other thing you notice about the lampstands is that Jesus was walking amongst the lampstands. He's, he's, he's there. The lampstands are there, the seven lampstands, and uh, Jesus is, is there. Now, what does that tell us? Well, I, I think, first of all, it just reminds us that Jesus is with us. As we gather here today, and, and many are gathered with us online, but Jesus has gathered with us. You, you see him walking amongst the lampstands. Jesus is where we are. Now, Jesus is everywhere, of course, but, but in a special way, when we gather together and we pray and worship and, and preach God's word, Jesus is there. But it also tells us that Jesus is interested in, in what we do. So the lampstands are there. And Jesus is right there with the lampstands. Jesus is observing the lampstands and, and, and how well they hold the light. Jesus is interested in what we do. And Jesus is inspecting what we do. Well, what's the purpose of Jesus walking around the lampstands if it, if it is not so that Jesus can see if the lampstands truly are holding up the light? Jesus is looking at the things that we do, the things on our calendar, the things in our personal lives. Are we truly holding up the gospel of Christ? And then there's one more thing about the lampstands I want you to see before we get to the first of the seven churches. Turn over a page in your Bible to Revelation 2. Five. Revelation 2, 5 says, remember then how far you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. We're going to come back to that in, in just a moment. But look at the last part. He says, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So here's the last thing we need to know about our lampstands. If we're not a faithful lampstand, if we're not holding high the gospel of Jesus Christ, then God will just take away, Christ will just take the lampstand off the scene. As a church, if we're not, if we're not faithful uh, to hold the light of the gospel to our community, God will just take his hand off our church. 
You know, there are all kinds of churches that have completely lost their influence. There are whole denominations of churches that have lost their influence. They have no more influence in the world. There are churches right here in Nacogdoches that have really zero influence in this community for the gospel. And, and if we don't, if we're not faithful to hold the light up, not our ministries, our ministries are lampstands. If, if we're not faithful to hold the light up, then Jesus will take that opportunity away. Our influence will, will wane. Our influence will die. And, and that's not just true of a, of a church, but it's true of individuals, of, of Christians, of believers. We have a responsibility. We are lampstands. We, we have to shine the light of Christ into the places that we live and the places that we go with the people that we encounter. And if we don't shine the light, then God says he will remove our influence. What does it look like when God removes influence? Well, when he removes influence of a church, it turns into a dark community where there's just no gospel witness. If he removes the influence in our lives, then our families can become dark families where there's no gospel witness in our families. And so we have these lampstands and there's much we can learn, much we can learn. Our purpose, Christ's presence, and then the urgency because if we don't hold up the light, then Christ will remove the lampstand. Now, with that in mind, Really, as an introduction to this first letter we see, let's turn to chapter 2, verse 1, and let's, let's just read the words that Jesus uh, sends to the church located at Ephesus. A real church, uh, a historic church, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, here's, here's his message. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, we're going to come back to the stars, as I told you in a later message, because we're going to see that throughout these two chapters. But here he reminds us of the stars and he reminds us of the lampstand. The church is a lampstand. But then look at verse two. He begins to brag on the church. He begins to talk about some things that the church did very well. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. We see here that this is a good church. They're a busy church. They've got many things going on. If you would have looked at their church calendar, it would have been filled. If, had you gone to their webpage, there would have been so many different choices and activities. Uh, Jesus says, I know all the things that you do. I know that you work hard. I know that you're diligent about those things. He also says here in verse 2 that they are faithful to the truth. They had the correct doctrine. This is not some liberal church. This is not some church that's abandoned or compromised the truth of Scripture. They're, they're on top of Scripture. They, they believe God's Word. And then if you look at verse 3, he says, I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. He said of this church that they've gone through some tough times. And as they've gone through tough times, they have persevered. They have stayed strong. They have stayed faithful. This is a good church that he talks about. I, um, I thought this would be a good time just to take a look at our church, compare our church to at least what verses 2 and 3 say of the church at Ephesus. And so it's the beginning of the year. Let me just take a look at our church, a year in review, 2020. So first of all, I would say that like the church at Ephesus, uh, we've, we've taken some punches. 
in 2020, 2019, 2020. Uh, we did some renovation. There was some frustration involved in the renovation. I share with you as your pastor as we began this in 2018 that, uh, that we have to be on guard for frustration, for impatience, for division. I've led about six different church renovations and, and, and it's always the same. And so we took some punches with that. And then we lost two faithful uh, ministers, excellent worship leaders, uh, Andre and, and Austin, and we missed them, and they had such an important ministry here. Uh, we took some punches in 2020. And then, of course, on top of all of that, COVID. Uh, COVID and the pandemic, and it's impacted almost everything that we do. It's impacted what things look like even right now and across the way at the summit service. Uh, I, I remember when we, when we had our first Sunday that was online, I told people, I really promised people, but not in a I guarantee you sense, but in a, in a pretty serious sense, I promised people we will be back to normal by Easter. Write it down. Easter, we'll be back to normal. And I was thinking Easter 2020, not 2021 or 2022. Um, we've taken some punches in, in 2020. But listen, church, God has blessed in the midst of all of this. Uh, we have finished our renovation, or we're about 99% finished. And it seems like everyone's on board. Everyone's excited about that. We finished on budget, and we finished with excellence. Uh, we have remained financially healthy this year. When a lot of churches have really struggled uh, because of God's faithfulness and your generosity, we have stayed financially healthy. I'll tell you a story of something that happened behind the scenes, I don't know, six months ago. Uh, not, not, not really so much, you know, to, to get your opinion one way or the other, but just, just, to sh just, I think this is a story about the faithfulness of God. So when the pandemic began, the government created a fund so that, um, small businesses, churches included could borrow money and, and it would be forgiven. So essentially it was a grant and it was based on what your payroll uh, is over a certain number of days. And for us, it would have been about $250,000. Now, I have uh, pastor friends whose churches accepted the money, and I have pastor friends whose churches didn't accept the money. I don't think this isn't a right or wrong thing. And, and businesses, of course, that's what it was there for. And so many churches went different directions. And so when it came, of, came available, uh, we had a meeting. We pulled together our, our chairman of deacons, and we pulled together our finance committee, and we sat down and we talked about it. Actually, we were on Zoom and we talked about it in those days. And, you know, I, I think really I, I was probably on both sides of the issue at different points. And it was a friendly conversation. There were some pros and some cons. And, and nobody, I don't think, was really against it. And nobody was just absolutely, we've got to do this. But we went through our conversation and it really became clear that the consensus of the group and that, that I think everybody agreed that while there, there wouldn't be anything wrong in us accepting the money, we have trusted God all these years to take care of our church. Why don't we trust God a few more months? And so that was scary. I, 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 just a little bit as, as the person who you know, sort of thinks about making payroll every week, and that's never been a problem. But, uh, you know, as the leader, you, that's one of the things that you think about. Uh, th those were some scary days. We didn't know what... Um, uh, what COVID would do to, uh, to our church and to other churches. But we decided 
we just trust the Lord. Now, not that the churches that decided something different aren't churches that trust the Lord, but we decided that our path would be to just trust the Lord. So can I tell you what happened? What happened after that? Well, first of all, uh, while the books for 2020 are not completely closed, and I'm told that they're still waiting for some mail to come in, uh, we have reached, you have given 99.2% of our 2020 budget. We haven't passed an offering plate in six months. And just a, just a few thousand dollars separate us from receiving our full budgeted amount for 2020. We received in 2020 the largest one-year regular offering in the history of our church. In addition to that, uh, Annie Armstrong is a really big deal around here. It's a time in the, uh, around Easter that we, we pull some of our money that people give over and above in order to support home missions, what we used to call home missions, missions in North America, other, other places where they're sharing the gospel, and we support those. And so we had a goal this year. We set a goal, and then we canceled church. And so there was no hope that we would meet our goal because we weren't having church. But guess what? We met and exceeded our goal. Then we set a goal for a thousand Operation Christmas Child boxes uh, I, I don't know if you've, if you've just done a little math in your head, but that's tens of thousands of dollars spent for these boxes, and we met our goal. Uh, and then, with, uh, with very limited attendance, in August, we said, uh, there are some ministry partners that we have that are struggling financially because of COVID. And so we want to be a blessing to those. And so we're going to have a one-day special offering and we're going to bless those, those partners that are, that are struggling. And in, on one day, you gave a quarter of a million dollars just so we could give it away. We didn't keep a penny of it. Just that we could give it away to these mission organizations, important groups that were doing important work but needed some help. And then uh, we're now in the Lottie Moon season. And if you're a longtime Baptist, you know what that means. This is the offering that we collect that especially goes for sharing the gospel around the world, international missions. And so we have already this year given $75,000 in August because you were so generous. We, we gave $75,000. Our goal for the year, our Lottie Moon goal for the year was $60,000. So we could have said the goal has been met before we even collected an offering. We could have just said, well, we're not doing Lottie Moon this year. We've already exceeded our goal. But we decided that we would, we would really dial the number back to zero. Let's start with zero and let's just see. Let's just see what would happen. And I can tell you that as of this weekend, uh, they tell me that our $60,000 goal, that we have collected $56,000. And uh, I, I just believe by, by this time next week, because of the people that will reach out this week, that we will meet and exceed that goal. Now, why do I tell you all that? Numbers, you probably don't care. But in the midst of a year where we've taken some punches, uh, we have seen God so faithful in taking care of us financially. Our worship remains strong. Uh, nobody wanted to uh, lose Andre or Austin. They meant so much, still mean so much to our church. But God has blessed us with, uh, with Dr. Webster and God has blessed us with Caleb Castro uh, leading this service and the other service. And, and we have just had a, a fantastic focus on the Lord in our worship times. And not a day goes by that somebody in our church doesn't reach out to me and say, Pastor, what powerful worship 
uh, we've experienced in, in the celebration of the summit service in, in recent days. Um, our online presence is strong. Many people watching right now online. Uh, our television ministry, I, I believe, has grown. We don't have, to be honest, we don't have good numbers for this. They're just, the numbers aren't available. They don't count that. Uh, but anecdotally, uh, there's, there's evidence that things are strong. In fact, I was, uh, I'd taken my wife out on a date a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe, uh, to, uh, to a restaurant in Lufkin. And I know in COVID, I'm not supposed to do that, but I just wanted to. And so we were, we were there and sitting sort of in the corner of the restaurant and our server, uh, a man, I'm guessing 25 years old, he's watching, he's watching today. So 25 years old or so, he came over and he said, are you Noel Deer? And the first thing I thought is, oh no, did I, for, <laughs> did I forget to pay my check last time I was here or something like that? But he said, me and my daughter, we sit down every Sunday and watch the services at First Baptist Church. And so the Lord, has, uh, the Lord has blessed us there. Our ministers have found creative ways to minister in the pandemic. Uh, our church family. I have a lot of pastor friends who are struggling right now with disunity and division that um, has come as a result of the confusion that accompanies COVID. Uh, and I have uh, shared with them with, uh, with, with godly pride, pride in you, uh, that I feel like our church is more unified now than it was at the beginning of the, of the pandemic. So at 2020, in 2020 at First Baptist Nacogdoches, I think in some ways you could say this is our worst year ever. Never have we canceled service or gone online so many times. Never have we, you know, faced some of the things that we face. But in another sense, this has been our best year ever, 2020, because of the faithfulness of, of the Lord. But that brings me to verse 5. And I'm going to come back and talk about our church, but I, I want you to see, not verse 5, but, but verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. He, he's talking to the, to the church there at Ephesus. I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned your, 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 first, your first love. Now, what does it mean to abandon to abandon your first love. Well, you know what it's like. You, you can remember if you're old enough to have been in love before. You can remember what those first days were like. You can remember just, just the excitement that came with that. That's what he's talking about. He says that this church, as good a church as it was, as committed as it was, they had lost their first love. They had abandoned their first love. What kind of church can lose their first love? I think it's important to notice this. A church with a great heritage can still lose its first love. What was the heritage of the church at Ephesus? Well, it was started by the apostle Paul. I mean, that'd be something good to put on your letterhead, right? First Baptist Ephesus started by Paul. It was also pastored by Timothy. You know that name, right? And it is, um, it is tradition. We don't know this to be true, but it is tradition that Mary, the mother of Jesus moved to Ephesus and she was a part of this church. And it is also a part of tradition that John, who wrote the book of Revelation, uh, that he was a part of this church. And so just think of their, of their heritage. When they had a, um, a, a, a nativity scene at Christmas, you know who played the part of Mary? Mary did. Can you imagine? When they had questions about the gospel of John, you know who they asked? 
they asked John about it. When they had a series on the book of Romans, Paul preached that series. This is a church with a great heritage. It's also, it's also a church that, that had correct doctrine. Uh, Jesus brags on them for having the right doctrine. It's also a church that had a, a, a calendar full of ministry events. And you know, our church is a church with a great heritage. The gospel's been preached here faithfully for decades and decades and decades. We're a busy church. We have hardworking ministers. There's, there's a lot of things on our calendar, things for families and things for men and women and people of all ages. But I wonder if what was true of this church, if what was true of Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, that they had lost their first love, I wonder, church, if that could be said of us. Can I, can I just be frank with you for, for a moment. We, we talked about how good a year we've had in a lot of ways in 2020, maybe our best year in some ways. But all of those things can be true and a church can still, it can still be true of a church that they have lost their first love. In 2020 at First Baptist Nacogdoches, fewer people made public decisions for Christ than they did in 2019. Fewer people were baptized or have asked to be baptized in, in the COVID season. Fewer new families have connected with our church. Now, it's easy just to blame that on COVID. And, and, and I suppose in some, in some ways, COVID is responsible for that. And it's, it's made things harder and it's you know, made people maybe less likely to visit a church. But it's also true that when times are dark, that a church then has its greatest opportunity to shine the light, right? Uh, a a lampstand ought not be uh, made pointless or made useless by darkness, right? That's when we should shine, so to speak. And so I worry, church, that like the church of Ephesus, a good church with a good history, that we may be a church that's lost our first love. But, but I think not just a church, but I, I think as Christians, oftentimes we've lost our first love. Can you remember back to a time when you were more excited about reading your Bible? When you were more excited about worship? When you were more excited about sharing the gospel with people? I remember when I came to know Christ, I didn't know anything about the Bible, really. I didn't grow up in church. Uh, but I began to study and read and ask questions, and I drove my youth pastor crazy because I had so many questions about what does this mean and what does that mean? And you can't be right about this because it says over here, and I was wrong about all of it, but I was hungry for that. I remember as a, as a student in, in, in high school, I wanted to see all my friends come to know Christ, and I was able to help several of them make a decision for Christ, and, 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 and we pushed on all of them that didn't make a decision. We, we, we really tried to help them make a decision, and and, and that, was our, that was a first love kind of love. I wonder if we've lost that first love. If, if we're just not as passionate about God's word, about worship, and about sharing the gospel as we once were. Now, if you look at verse 5, he gives us the, the solution. He says, remember then how, how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at, at first. And so that's the verse that pastors love to preach uh, and it's even alliterated for us there, right? We need to remember, you need to repent, and you need to redo. And I've preached that message. You've probably heard that message. That's a favorite of pastors. But, but let me just simplify it here for our purposes. 
What is he saying when he says we ought to remember our first love? We ought to repent of our sin as we've abandoned our first love. And we need to redo some things, do some things that we did before. What does he mean? He means really, just in a nutshell, that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. We need to recognize what is most important, what is, what is of, of chief priority in our lives, and we need to focus on that. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, when churches, when churches start, new churches, in the first few years, they usually have their greatest success in sharing the gospel because they come together, and I'm, true, I'm sure it's true of this church. When, when a church would come together, it comes together for the purpose of sharing the gospel with everybody in the community, and that's, that's the focus, and that's the, the thing that's driving them. But after a while, these churches, and, and all the statistics show this, they, they add this ministry, and they add that ministry, and all those ministries are helpful and good things and important things, but then they add another ministry and another ministry, and then after about five or six years, the, the, the sharing of the gospel, the holding up of the lamp becomes not the purpose of the church, but it just becomes one of 19 other things that we do. What, what does a church need to do to maintain its first love? We need to keep the main thing the main thing. We ought to have all of these programs, and they need to be effective programs, and they are effective programs. But we have to make sure that the main thing in everything we do is about holding high the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if it's not, it's just an empty lampstand. And we're offering the, the community something that, that God has not told us, told us to offer. We need to keep the main thing the main thing at the church. And we need to keep the main thing, the main thing in our lives, right? The Bible says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. The most important thing in our lives should be the word of God and sharing the word of God. That should be our focus. If we're going to maintain that first love, we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. I just want to show you one more thing as we Wrap this up. If you look down to verse 7, he closes the letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, let anyone who has ears listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Some fancy words there at the end just to speak of eternal life. He says, the one who conquers in this life, if you can conquer in this life, then you'll receive eternal life. You'll be right with God forever. Now, what does it mean to conquer? Well, it's interesting, the person who wrote the book of Revelation, well, it's from God, but the person who wrote down the words is John the Apostle. And he's also the person who wrote the Gospel of John, and he's the person who wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And so I I looked for this word conquer to see how he had used it in other places, and I found it in 1 John 5, 5. Listen, here he tells us what it means to be a conqueror. He says, who is the one who conquers the world It is the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He says if we will believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Son of God, that he has lived a sinless life and he has died a death on the cross for us, and we'll embrace that and we'll surrender to him and we'll trust him that we will be conquerors in this world and our reward will be eternal life. Just your head bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Father in heaven, I I pray that you help us to to not abandon our first love, not to get distracted even by good things, but I, I pray you help us to embrace, embrace that, keep the main thing the main thing, and for us to be conquerors. Father, I know that there are 
All kinds of people here hear this message this morning and, and, and many of them, faithful followers, uh, members of our church. And I pray that for us, you challenge us. Keep the main thing, the main thing, 2021. But there are people who listen uh, to this who, who don't know you as their savior, who've never trusted you. They are not conquerors. I pray that you will move them right now. Surrender to you. Repent of their sin. Embrace you trust you for eternal life. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.